And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found a child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's been a while since we've had baptisms at Mass, so... Just a refresher, because sometimes when we haven't danced to dance for a while, the steps are unfamiliar. We start at the door of the church, even though it's cumbersome and awkward and Father's got to go like this. We start at the door of the church because baptism is the doorway, the gateway to the life of grace and the church's sacraments. We start at the door because doors are where things begin. And because while sin here, something happens that changes things forever. It's a bit like a movie theater, right? You walk into a movie theater, they're designed this way. They have been for hundreds of years. You walk into the theater and the light in the lobby is different than the light outside. And then once you get into the theater proper, it's dark. That's done on purpose to disorient you so that for the time that you're in the theater, you can enter another world. Well, that's what we do in church. That's why churches don't look like other buildings. At least smart ones don't and why building churches to look like banks is so fabulously stupid. If you can't tell what the building's for, it's not clear why you'd be there. Once the child has been greeted, they're signed with the sign of the cross. Now, probably her parents have been doing this for several weeks already, but, 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 but this is the, sort of the formal claim that Christ makes on this child now, right? And for the rest of her life, every day, probably several times a day, right? Someone signing the cross on her forehead. When she's confirmed, the bishop will seal her with the spirit on her forehead. And at the end of her life, 
the very last thing the priest will do in giving her last rites is to sign her on the forehead in the sign of the cross, the same sign of the cross. Then she takes her place amongst her people now in the nave of the church, right? Nave, like navy, because if you look up, we're inside a boat. That's deliberate. The nave where the people sit has two main functions, right? It's the place where we hear the word of God proclaimed and preached, like right now, and hopefully our hearts are turned, and then where we stand to share our place amongst God's people in offering the sacrifice of praise. Presuming the homily is worth something, and the parents decide this is still a good idea, conversion having really happened right in the heart then we approach the font. And two things happen, right? The baby's anointed with oil before and after the baptism. Before, on the breast, the base of the neck. And this is a memory of when soldiers and athletes would rub themselves down with oil, make themselves hard to hold on to. Well, we want sin and the devil and the gunk of the world to be hard to hold on to her. We want it to slick her off, right? Like water off a duck's back. Then the baptism proper, and then immediately anointed again, this time on the head, like kings in the Old Testament, setting apart a share now in Christ's own kingship. She's clothed in a white garment and will be given light from the great candle. And someday, again at the end of her life, she'll be clothed in the same kind of garment and lit next to the same candle. When this happens during Mass, it's a little harder to see, but when baptism happens outside Mass, no matter what else, where else the rest has happened, even if the baptistry were like back there, the priest is to bring the people to the altar. Why? Because what happens at baptism is only ever really accomplished at the altar. At the altar. Here we come to share in Christ's body. Here we come to feast on Christ's body so that in the world we can truly be Christ's body. And at the end of her life, she will be drawn back to the altar. The Christian life is a great mirror from front to back. And in the middle, if we're doing this right, is Christ. Do you remember those Christmas ornaments, the lawn ornaments that were real popular back in like the late 80s, early 90s, the, the cutouts of reindeer and such? Remember these? They were like, it was just plywood, painted white usually, and they, and they started showing up in these yards all over the place, and, and they'd be painted white so that when there was snow, it was like they were coming up out of the snow. They were pretty. I'd seen them in yards for a while, then, summer I turned 10, I was walking the dog, and I met a neighbor who lived a block up. Remember how blocks had, like, imaginary lines on them, and you weren't allowed to cross them? So I met this guy who was a block up from us, and he was working on these cutouts of reindeer in his garage. Well, like I said, I'd seen these things before. I was, like, an eight- or nine-year-old boy. I was not especially interested in lawn ornaments. But something magic was going on in that garage. 
See, this guy wasn't painting his white. He was painting them black so that they'd stand in contrast against the white of the snow. And he had them arranged in the, in the garage. He was trying to play off of light and shadow. He had, like, trouble light set up so that he could play with how the shadow would wind up lying on the ground, trying to imagine what it would look like on the snow. So I asked a lot of questions, and he showed me, you know, the stencils that he'd used and whatever, and, and I asked if he could teach me. And he said, he said, well, sure, but I want to talk to your parents first. And so... He called my parents and explained the situation, and my folks kind of knew him. And so for several weeks, I went up. This started in the summer before school had taken up again. Uh, and then into the school year for several weeks, I'd, stay af- I'd go after school and help him in his workshop. I liked it. It was fun. And I, we were making things that made me a little pocket money, and I could see were making other people happy. And then, then I just stopped. Couldn't tell you why. No reason. He didn't hurt or offend me. I still kind of liked doing it. I probably just got distracted. Whatever books I was reading or TV shows I was watching, I have no idea what happened, but, but I just quit going. And then after a while, it had been so long, it felt weird to try and go back. And then I knew I needed to apologize, but wasn't quite sure how to do that. And then he died. And I felt rotten. I felt rotten not because I sort of let down somebody or, or hadn't followed through on a commitment, but, but because I knew there was an opportunity there, that this guy was trying to teach me a skill and, and, and a number of things. And I just let it go. And I couldn't tell you why. Except maybe at the time, it just seemed easier. I raise that today because the next week or two for most of us is going to be rife with opportunity, full of chances to say and do and be with friends and family in ways we don't dare the rest of the year. I can't pass that old man's house or see one of those darn lawn ornaments and not still 30 years later feel a twinge of regret. I don't want you to have to look back on this Christmas with any regrets. You're being given an opportunity to touch someone else's life. Probably someone you care about, but not in the ordinary superficial ways that we do the rest of the year, but in those special, meaningful, intentional ways that can only happen at Christmas. I'm not saying pick a fight over the Christmas dinner table about why your kids don't go to church anymore. Please don't do that. It only causes me trouble. But I am saying in those quiet, privileged moments, the ones I appreciate most are like the night before the night before Christmas when suddenly we realize we're out of wrapping paper and we have to go to Walmart at 10 o'clock those kind of moments, when you're in the car with somebody you're not usually in the car with, or when you're wrapping presents, hiding in the basement so nobody sees, 
or when you're wrapping Christmas candy in the kitchen or, or doing those sort of slighty chores that are necessary to prepare for the feast. Having those kinds of conversations and not going in with an agenda, but just honestly asking, what do you love these days? What gets you up in the morning? What's the last thing you think about before you go to bed? What do you dream about during the day when you're busy at work and you're supposed to be thinking about what you're doing? Because if you can connect with those you love best, your kids, grandkids, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, aren't cousins great at Christmas? If you can connect with those people you love best on that level, then it'll be the easiest thing in the world to talk about what you love best. Who you love best. Or at least who you know you should love best and who you wish you loved the more. See, then it's not gotcha evangelism or, or winning arguments or, or, or fighting over whose church is better. Then it's simply sharing about the most important thing in the world. The person of the Lord Jesus. And see, I raise this today, of all days, because the gospel today takes place in a carpenter shop where people are making things as banal as cut out reindeers, though I'm pretty sure they didn't have reindeer in Israel. And because, because Joseph finds himself in the midst of an opportunity, what looked like a disaster was really a miracle. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is by the Holy Spirit that this child has been born to her. What looked like a disaster, a divorce before the marriage ever started, turns out to be the miracle that saves Joseph and Mary and the rest of the world. What looked like a disaster when a selfish child simply failed to fulfill his responsibilities provides the occasion for conversion for 300 people 30 years later. Your greatest mistakes, your biggest weaknesses, have the potential to become your superpower. If only you would allow them by the grace of God. The other reason I raise this question of the, the woodshop is because at the 11 today, we'll be formally dedicating the new stations of the cross. You've probably passed by them the last couple of weeks and didn't even notice. The shadow of the cross looms from the future, hanging over the manger. The cross and the crib are cut from the wood of the same tree. The baby who rules from the manger reigns ultimately from the cross as Christ, our King and God. You see, this is the message, this is the great mystery, that God takes the worst the world has to offer and turns it into the greatest story ever told. The question is, this week, for us, will we meet him? at the manger, at the foot of the cross,
in our neighbor, even in ourselves.